Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Oilers now, the Monday edition. Brendan Escott with you. Cody Jansen on the other side of the glass. Bob, he's on his way back to the broadcast booth. Well, his home broadcast booth uh, as of tomorrow. Oilers now brought to you by Digitex, who wish you and yours all the best during these... uh, Uncertain times. Digitex.ca, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. Uh, still to come a little later on in Oilers now, after the one thirty news, we'll co- connect with uh, longtime WHL standout, Wacy Rabbit from the southern part of our province. He'll uh, give some thoughts on National Indigenous Peoples Day and sort of the growth of First Nations hockey and, uh, and a, well, a lot more, in fact, planned on. On that front with Wacy coming up but right now right now we're going to hear from the host of Inside Sports here on 630 Chad as well as the host of all the Oilers action it is Reed Wilkins my esteemed colleague good friend hi Reed how you doing today do I have you on the air probably not how about now Hi, can you have me, Brendan? It's great to be on the show. Thanks, Reed. Uh, good to have you, my man. I, I hear you were on the golf course. Did you shoot reasonably well this morning? Uh, for my level of ability, which is horrible, I actually did uh, okay. And I probably hit one of the top 10 shots of my life on the 18th hole. So I left feeling pretty good. All right. Was it uh, a second shot? Uh, something good out of the tee box? It was. Uh, it was the approach shot. Yes. It was. A, it was an approach shot that actually landed on the green, relatively close to the pin. So I'm always happy when that happens. Few things more satisfying than uh, landing something within ten or so feet of the pin. I would say, anyway. Um, so, Reed, listen. I imagine you've been watching hockey because you haven't had a lot of shows over the last week or so as a result of there being hockey on the radio. Um, but give me some takes. It's been a lot of close game. Both series tied up at two after Vegas was able to seal the deal in overtime last night. And maybe we'll start there. Uh, A 2-1 finish to that game, tightly contested. It seems like a lot of these teams are built similarly in terms of having a great decor and a foundation that they built sort of out from that. Um, What kind of takeaways are you having from the semifinals so far? Well, first of all, I absolutely love watching the New York Islanders play. And that's probably not a quote that a lot of people would make. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I've picked them to win every series, and I'm always going to tell you if, and I'm going to say when they beat Tampa Bay, because I still think they're going to figure it out, I will pick them to win the Stanley Cup final. I, I just, in, like when the Islanders get going, they are so fun to watch, the way that all four lines can pressure the puck. All four lines seem to have at least one member of the line who can body check and play a little nasty and 
get involved in a scrum after the whistle if need be. And they have some really good all-round defensemen who can move the puck, who can body check, who can defend, who can block shots, as we saw in the dying seconds of Game 4. And then they have two pretty good goaltenders. I know you know the, the one guy's a lot younger, but Varlamov is, is a pretty good goaltender. So I, I really like watching the New York Islanders play. And, and I know that might be a weird thing to say, but and every time they look like, oh, well, you know, they, they've been down 2-1 in every series, and the dialogue has always been like, oh, yeah, well, that's the end of the Islanders, and then they've come back and won three in a row every series. We'll see if they can do it against Tampa Bay. But this goes back to last year for the Islanders. when it, You know, and I, I picked against them every series last year because I just thought, oh, well, they're not good enough, they're not good enough. But it's it's goal prevention. And I also think there's a lot of hockey IQ on that team. And and I think this goes into all four teams that are still going. Though maybe Vegas might have been the, the sloppiest with some of the things we've seen over the last couple of games. They don't make big mistakes. I mean, there are always mistakes. There are errors made under pressure, but they, they don't make a lot of unforced errors. And if, if a, if a player is in trouble, it's, get the puck to the next zone or it's just slap it in deep and go chase it. And I, and I think that's part of the reason all four of these teams are, are still playing. But I, but my, my takeaway from the other series is that Carey Price right now is the best player in the world. And you know, I know there are some other really good players like McDavid, Matthews and McKinnon that aren't playing. But if, if you look over the last six weeks, Carey Price is the best player in the world. And if, if the Canadians make the Stanley Cup final, I think he should win the Conn Smythe, even if they don't wind up winning. But that was a huge win for Vegas, because I think if the Canadians figure that out again last night and win it, I think that series is over. I, I think we've seen a little bit of fragility in, in Vegas's game, uh, but they were able to figure it out. And, and now it's, it's going to be a bit of a coin flip. But Price is, is that good that I think he's won some games for Montreal almost single-handedly. And the team needed him to because they're not scoring a ton of goals. You know, these games are not 6-5 hockey games, and they never are in the playoffs. But, you know, there, there really isn't a lot going on up front for Montreal, and, and there hasn't been for years and years and years. Cole Caulfield is in line to change that, read. The fact that he slipped to 15th overall is... is um, I think pretty telling that a lot of people might have been scared off by his size, considering how much success he's had uh, since well, being I think, inserted. I think a lot of people were scared off too by the, I mean, that was a great U.S. NDTB team, right? Yeah. And I, and some of the discussion was, okay, like they're all pretty good, but how much of it is that they're good because they're all making each other good. And maybe, you know, they don't all have the individual skills necessary. But yeah, I've been impressed with Caulfield. His his release, I already think, is one of the best in the league. He can fire it so effectively. Carey Price, as the best player in the world right now, is something that we would not have been talking about. Like, you just... There's some guys that can turn it on during playoff time. Maybe he's healthy right now. Maybe he's hit a groove. Uh, but he is he is a backbone on that side of the ice. And then the move made to go from Marc-Andre Fleury to Robin Lehner uh, in, in last night's game, read maybe that showed some of that fragility that you're highlighting. Even in that, um, whether it was something that was a, a 
as John Shannon highlighted, maybe he's just biased towards big goaltenders. Maybe he had the one in he'd been looking for for a while after Fleury's gaffe to to put Leonard in the lineup. But, you know, they'd better hope that that chip on Leonard's shoulder is going to carry them forward to a serious success because if you look a couple games down the road in Game 7, there might be an issue with who you start. That's a tough thing to have brought on themselves. Well, I, again, being out golfing this morning, did, did, did they say who they're playing tomorrow night? I would assume that they haven't. No, they have not. And I mean, I wonder if that was a situation where, where Fleury's playing game five regardless. You just didn't want him in another game in Montreal after the way that ended. You want to give him a night off, and, and either way, you're coming back with him in game five. That's that's what I'm wondering if, if DeBoer is thinking. Though, though Leonard played well, and I know that's been a strength for Vegas for the last couple of years is that they have – both of those guys. I was still a little surprised to see him go with with Leonard. Obviously, it was a massive mistake on the tying goal in Game 3. But, I mean, the overtime goal in Game 3, it was a horrible line change. I mean, they didn't get the puck deep in overtime, and the two guys on the right side changed, and then Montreal gets a 2-on-0. Two on, two on oh. that, that was not on Marc-Andre Fleury. And the goal that beat Carey Price last night to tie the game, I think that wasn't necessarily, you know, a great goal that he would have wanted either. So do you go to Jake Allen because Carey Price let that one in? Absolutely not. That's, again, where we're looking at the coaching decision and wondering. All of the teams, as we chat with Reed Wilkins here from Inside Sports, Reed, all the teams that are left, it's pretty easy to look at on paper and say, like, these have been built around incredible defenses. And I look at I look at what Edmonton's got going on, and it's just not necessarily the same level of depth. So when Elliot Friedman told me on Friday that the the staff of the Oilers may be looking for even more defensive depth, I, you know, thinking about it now, I... I'm not as surprised to hear that, especially if they're a little bit worried about what Evan Bouchard might be able to contribute in a playoff setting, say, versus the regular season. So, you know, I guess I'll ask it like this. Do you think that the Oilers have the kind of defense construction right now that could see them through a deep playoff run, or is there some moves to be made here? No, they, they have to get better on defense. I still, I still think they could use a couple defensemen I mean, I think they could use some size, and I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I, I don't think it's just uh, bulk. I also think it's that ranginess because, you know, you see how a lot of good defensemen defend McDavid, for example. They don't try to body check him because he's hard to hit because he's so fast, but they defend him with a long reach and being able to get their stick in the way. Derek Forbert did a great job of that in the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, let's face it, I mean, Forbert's not good at much else. I mean, when the puck's on his stick, he might be the worst player in the league. Like, I'm serious. I mean, that's just an honest assessment. But, yeah, I mean, he's got some ranginess, and he can he can get in the way. And I, and I think, you know, you always want players who can play with a little bit of an edge, who aren't afraid to jump into a scrum or do a, a face wash or push what they can get away with after the whistle, which I know we're going to talk about as well. So, I mean, look, I know... You know, I know I hear fans and I see, well, what if they lose Caleb Jones? And what if they lose and say, well, like Caleb Jones didn't play in the playoffs. You know, like how effective was he when he played? Like, do they not need somebody who has a little bit more to his game, maybe in terms of uh, playing nasty and being willing to block shots and all that stuff? I mean, why does Chris Russell play? And I know, okay, well, he does this, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do this. But look at what he does do. He He gives the same effort every night. The coaches trust him and he blocks shots. That's why he plays, and that's why he keeps playing in the NHL. Now, he's not a big guy, obviously, but 
you know, they, they were hoping to get some of that from Kulikov. He did okay. You know, I understand why that trade was made. I didn't mind the gamble at the time. But, yeah, I mean, I think for the Oilers to move up to the next level, and, again, that's what we're talking about now. We're talking about them going from a second-tier team to a legit contending team. It's it's six players. You know, they need they need somebody in the top six. They probably need at least two third-liners, if not an entire third-line. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And they need they need a couple steadier, solid, more trustworthy defensemen. Those are the six players that they need. Chatting with Reed Wilkins from Inside Sports, and Reed, some of the scuttlebutt last week was whether or not to, uh, to capitalize on the trade market that may be there right now for a player like Zach Cassian. I don't necessarily know that this team can afford to get rid of Zach Cassian and some of those things that he brings that we don't often get to talk about because. We haven't seen this team make a playoff run in four going on five seasons now, but holy cow, was he ever a player you wanted suiting up next to you in 2017? Is it tough to extrapolate that to where the team is at now? Yes, but I have a really hard time stomaching the idea that they could move forward without a Cassian type based on how these playoffs are being played right now. They already lack a serious presence of that, and to get rid of what they do have I think would be uh, premature. Now, does it have to come at a $3 million plus price tag? Of course not. But I'd love to know where you stand, Reed, on whether now is the time maybe to maximize uh, some trade value there for Cassian that could slip away, or do you need that on your team? Well, I don't know what his trade value is because he didn't play a lot last year because of the injuries, and we didn't see enough of the good Zach Cassian when he did play, I thought games three and four in the playoffs, he was pretty good. And he got a big goal in the Oilers, uh, the game, the Oilers blew and lost in overtime in game three, but he, he played okay in the games in Winnipeg. I, I just don't think there's, I mean, personally, if I'm another GM, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm trading for that contract with a player that I think might play at his maximum. Uh, I don't know, 40% of the time. Like, and I, I might even be a little generous. Like, he's definitely somebody that can play. That's a really interesting contract. I mean, Rob Brown has often said if he, if he plays with Big David, then it's a good deal. If he plays in the bottom six and he plays 10 minutes a game and doesn't kill penalties, even if he, even if he brings some speed and some nastiness, th- then I'm not sure that that's a, a very good deal. So I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if I'm another GM and I'm looking at Cassie and I'm looking at the contract, I'm probably saying not based on the last couple of years that I'm going to go out there and then try to trade for that player. He'd be the type of player, I'm sure, over the course of a playoff run that there would be some sort of incident, you know, with a not a, a, a crazy incident by any means. But we would talk officiating, I'm sure. That's where we're going to go next with Reed Wilkins here because, uh, you know, much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of some listening right now, NHL officials have been in the forefront again this playoffs, not necessarily for directly impacting games, but certainly for some of the calls that aren't being made. And as discussed with John Shannon, when we, the viewer, Reed, get as many opportunities to see things over again, not in real time, and dissect the performance of somebody trying to do it in real time, it's tough. 
that being said, some of the stuff that wasn't called last night at the end of the second period there, when Chris Lee was trying to get them to run the, the rest of the clock, and I'm sure that's all he was thinking about at that point. And is, it's a frustrating conversation that seems to happen a lot more often than you would think for a professional sports league as, as high caliber as the NHL. Well, look, here's how I see it. And, and first of all, I, I, do, I, I fully believe that if you're an NHL referee, you are the elite and you have sacrificed and you have put the work in and you deserve to be there. You know, I'm not, I, I don't criticize officials or referees to troll them. I don't think they're corrupt. I don't think they're showing bias towards a team or a player. But I do think that especially this year and maybe in a little bit last year, there is a problem and it is confusing. And I'm talking about situations like last night. And when I see a lot of viewers of the game who don't really care who wins, who are mystified, you know, it's Rob and I talked to a lot of fans after games and uh, you know, I get it. Well, McDavid got pushed. Did he get interfered with? If you actually watch most of those types of things objectively, hey, you understand why probably why it wasn't called. I mean, not McDavid. The, there should not be a penalty on Connor McDavid every time he's touched, or every time a stick touches him, or every time he's knocked to the ice. And I think you know, you watch uh, if you watch a hockey game and you don't care who wins. There are a lot of fifty-fifty calls where you probably think to yourself, well, you know, I get it whether he made a call or didn't, or it's like, well, I'm seeing it on TV and maybe the angle on the ice was a little different. I'm not talking about those types of calls. And I'm not talking about fans of a certain team, whether they're Oilers fans or Flames fans or whoever, complaining after a loss that they feel their team got jobbed because they're emotional about it. I'm not talking about those types of calls. I'm talking about obvious penalties that aren't called. And, We talked a lot earlier in the season about cross-checks, about hits from behind. Last night, a perfect example. Like, how do you not call something, even if it's coincidental? When the puck is at the other end of the ice and there are two Canadian players not making any effort to clear the zone and they're involved in a scrum with a couple of Vegas players who are slashing and punching each other with their gloves on. And the referee stands there and says, run the clock. Even if you're calling coincidental penalties, you have to call them. Those are obvious violation of the rules. And I got to tell you something, Brendan. I'm fine with a game where ticky-tack penalties aren't called. I really am. If referees establish in the first 10 minutes, you know what? If it's a little slash on the hands or a little hook and a guy lets go or a little, a little jersey tug and the guy lets go, I'm going to let everybody get away with that tonight. If he's consistent with that, where he says, I'm not going to call 12 power plays. I'm going to call four. I'm actually fine with that. But the problem is, is that obvious penalties that even somebody who's probably only watched a few games of hockey in their lives could identify as penalties. Those aren't being called the the examples I gave from last night. Let me give you an example from the Oilers triple overtime game against Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Leon Dreisaitl is battling for the puck along the boards, and I can't remember which jet was checking him, goes to the ice and grabs Leon Dreisaitl's stick. And I'm even, you know what, and even by the argument I was making a few seconds ago, if he grabs the stick briefly and lets go, then I'm like, okay, it's overtime. The ref's maybe going to wink at that and say, don't embarrass me if you let go right away. But Leon Dreisaitl got a t- in, into a tug of war with a Winnipeg player for his own stick. <laughs> 
Like, there's a point where you have to say, that is a penalty. That should be called. I don't care if it's overtime. I don't care what the score is. I don't care who the players are involved. That is a penalty. You are embarrassing the game, and you are trying to show me up as a referee by committing a foul to that extent. And that's, to me, that's the confusion. And that's what I hear the frustration is from viewers of the game. And, and they, are, they are saying, look, that's a penalty. That's not an iffy call. That's not one where maybe the referee couldn't see that was happening. That's a referee deciding to ignore an obvious infraction. And that is the problem. And I, I was watching the game with my dad last night. And even before that happened at the end of the second period, it was something else that happened. And my, dad's, my dad has been watching hockey for over 70 years. And he said, I don't understand the standard of penalties in this league anymore. And I have never heard my dad say that before. And, and he's watching a game where he's not overly invested in who's wins. That is the problem. That is the problem the NHL has. And that's what has to be fixed. It's not the 50-50 calls. It's not that every once in a while a ref screws up. It's that obvious infractions are not being called. They have to fix that. Agreed. Reed Wilkins bringing the heat here on Oilers Now. Wilkie, enjoy another evening, uh, I guess, while watching the game tonight. We'll have it live during your time slot. Six o'clock here on Chad. Thanks, my friend. All right, that is, again, Reed Wilkins. Uh, Old saying in the car business, cars cost less in Wetaskiwin. Brent Ridge Ford committed to providing unequaled automotive excellence, resulting in completely satisfied lifetime customers. If you currently have a vehicle, you're not using it enough, payments or interest rate is too high, and you want to sell it, refinance it, or trade it in for something different, Go visit Uncle Milt Rich, Johnny and the gang at Brent Ridge Ford. Give him a call at 1-877-477-3673 or visit brentridge.com. Quick timeout once again here on Oilers Now at 127. Cody Jansen back with your injury report for James H. Brown. It is National Indigenous Peoples Day, and we will be checking in with Wacy Rabbit, longtime WHLer, longtime pro hockey player overseas. We'll get his thoughts on the growth of the game in that respect. But right now, the Oilers Now Injury Report, brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. What you got, Cody? Well, let's stick with the Game 5 that's going on tonight. For the Islanders, Oliver Wallstrom. Now, he took warm-ups in Game 4, didn't play, expected to be a game-time decision once again. We'll see how Trotz wants to use his lineup. And Anders Lee, he's been out for a while after that ACL injury. He had a full morning skate. He wasn't wearing, or he was wearing a, you know, contact jersey too, looking normal like that. Well, I wonder if you can see him in these playoffs. For the Lightning, Eric Turnak, he got dinged up a little bit in Game 4, but he did take part in morning skate today, so expect him in the lineup once again. Series tied up at two. Uh, puck drop following the six o'clock news tonight on 6.30 Chad. It's 1.29 in Edmonton. Uh, Wacy Rabbit again coming up around the corner after a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad.